Welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat, where I talk to entrepreneurs and business people from all walks of life and all levels of success, from millionaires to the people who are just starting out and everyone in between. My objective is not only to learn about their businesses and goals, but about their challenges and fears as well, all with the hopes of helping them and you find a pathway to success. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am excited that you are joining me today for an interview with my new friend, Stephen Warley. And do you dread the question, what do you do? I sometimes used to dread that question. My guest today, Stephen, he used to dread that too, but now he loves it. Stephen is a coach who teaches people the life skills that matter for business his mission is to relieve people of their work anxieties by empowering them to design their own work. He's a big proponent of preparing people for the gig economy and where independent work will become the new norm and so many other things. As I was looking over his bio and background and we started chatting for a few minutes before this episode, I got really excited because I know there is a lot for us to talk about. So Stephen, welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. Thank you. This, the seat is getting hot. You set me up there. We have a lot to talk about. So, hey, so, yeah. so Andy, yeah, what do you do? What do I do? I connect companies with awesome experiential learning programs that help their people do the best work of their lives. That's my main business. And uh, surrounding that, I love to help people by sharing great information, inspiring them, coaching them, and helping the people around me improve their lives as well. I love it. You feel like good saying that, right? It feels good. It feels good. Connecting that back to the why. I'm glad you, I like that you put me on the spot like that. Yeah. Right? yeah hey, hot seat, both ways here. Hot um, seat. So what do you do, Steven? So I help prepare people for the future of work by teaching them how to work for themselves, how to get comfortable with that. And really step one is just learning how to manage yourself. Because when you think about traditional employment, one of the beauties of traditional employment, beyond the steady paycheck, built-in community, kind of know what you got to do all day. It outsources a lot of decisions that you have to make about work, right? You don't have to think about a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. But what's happening is, even if you're going to be a W-2 employee over the next decade, 20 years, a lot of those decisions already happening are creeping into your life. So I call it the decision shift. So you're starting to make more and more decisions, whether you realize it or not. You're feeling like you have to do more work, even though you feel like, am I, I'm already doing too much. I have to do even more stuff, right? So what's happening is we're starting to have this blending of what it means to be an employee, self-employed, and entrepreneur, right? There's going to be a widening spectrum of what that means. So basically, at the end of the day, you're going to have to take more care of yourself, and you're going to use technology to help you do that. And that's what I'm trying to get people ready for. I love it. All right. Well, before we dig into more of that, let's just start with a little bit of your background. Sure. What is your origin story, Stephen? How did you get to where you are today? Unlike most entrepreneurs, it was not a natural tendency. I, I was not selling baseball cards or have a lemonade stand or had like a startup in college. None of that. Nice. I was taught to be an employee. Like I think yeah. maybe a lot of people listening yeah, same to this here. And you know, my parents did with the information they had at that time, you know, made the best possible decisions, work with them on that of going to college, go to college, get a good job. So I worked in television news in New York. I eventually got a, a, a job at a dot com because that's what you did back in like 1999, 2000. Got laid off election day 2000, you know, laid off all income gone in two weeks, not my choice. But I tell you, it was the third most important day of my life. Because it really shook me up to say, holy crap, I had no idea how little control that I have over my work and my income. I want more control. So back then, there weren't a lot of podcasts like this or courses or conferences talking about all of this. But I knew in my gut that I said to myself, there's got to be another way to work. This cannot be, the way I was taught cannot be it. Something feels off. So I actually spent five years struggling with like going back to work and trying to work for myself. I call myself a reluctant entrepreneur, turned happily unemployable. And after five years, I'm like, man, I'm good at this. I'm making more money than my last job. I have more control over who I work with, creative freedom, time, all that good stuff. But now I'm at this stage, after doing it for 18 years, it's no longer the nice option. I'm preparing people for like, this is the option. The way I've been working for the last 18 years is going to be the way you're going to work in the next 10 years. So that's what I'm trying to get people prepared for to start softening up their resistance to this idea of working for themselves. Yeah. 
And I've been hearing more and more about the, you know, the gig economy, uh, more and more people are going to be independent, more people are wanting to work independently. You look at millennials, especially Gen Z, that are wanting to do more of that and companies are changing that way. So uh, I think it's great to have a voice out there to help people. I'm curious, I want to go back to, you know, you got laid off and you said you were kind of floating around between trying to be employed and maybe doing some of your own stuff and finally realized that it could be very lucrative to be on your own. What were you doing? Did you start different businesses? How did you end up making enough money to support yourself? Well, first I had like five different versions of my resume and I probably had hundreds of them out, but there was like a depression in the media world in New York at that time. So it was three months later, I finally got a call back from this uh, firm in Greenwich, Connecticut. It's about an hour from where I lived. And it was for a freelance position to produce an interactive CD-ROM for a pharmaceutical company, right? I'm, now I'm really dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I had to like hire actors. I had to do all the stuff I had never done before in television news. And like, can you do this? And I'm like, yep. Because <laughs> I, I just wanted to work. I wanted to make money again. So they paid me $300 a day, which was more, I was paid more per day than in my previous job already that quickly, right? So I did great at it. You know, it was stressful, but it was this idea. I'm like, I'm going to make this work. I'm going make, to make it happen. I think that's just kind of an entrepreneurial mindset that I didn't realize that I already had. And then I was like freaked out. I'm like, whoa, okay. So that means that once this job is done, I have to go find another client. And what about taxes? And like, I have to do accounting. I don't want to do accounting. I like content that numbers. And all that freaked me out. So then I'm like, I'm going to go back to business school, which now if you're going to work for yourself, I would not recommend don't spend fifty dollars to $100,000 two years because a lot of that information is just too dated. There's so many great programs that are significantly cheaper or more cost effective when you're doing this and you can do it in a quicker path and do it with people. I always tell people, you got, if you want to work for yourself, you're thinking about, you got to hang out with people who are doing it. That is the number one way to accelerate your mindset, your strategies, your growth for doing it. Can I, so, can I just add a point yeah, on that? Because I, I also have an MBA and did pay eighty dollars or $90,000 for the privilege. And uh, I, I always tell people, you know, to your point there, I don't know if I use that much of the education, you know, the academics, but the value in it was the connections and the friendships I made during that experience because I did it in person and I was really present and made a lot of friends through that. And those are friends that I have for life and possible business connections down the line. So I would tell people that's the biggest reason if you do want to do that, you know, you got to lean in and make sure you're going to take advantage of the network. Or once you know what you want to do and you know what the business industry is, spend a thousand bucks and go to a three-day conference. Yeah. And you will have an right. instant network like that of True. like people are so on your same page. You'll learn from them. I mean, I'm I always telling that. people, even if you're an introvert, go to a conference, especially you start knowing it. What do you do? It's because you're going to get away from all of your life influences, yep. your habits, your routines, and you're going to hang out in an intense way with all these people and you're going to build relationships. So that way when we go back home, you have these friendships to really build on to really spark that movement forward. 100%. So, I mean, just to wrap up my, I mean, so I got the MBA. I finally ended up, which I always tell people is I came out of the broadcasting industry and I saw an opportunity where broadcasters were really going to need to learn how to sell more digital advertising. So I took with, you know, the connections that I knew, this new subject matter that I was excited about. And then I started writing a blog post. I went out in a newsletter for a website that I was running at the time called TV Spy. And it wasn't mine. It was owned by somebody else. And I got my first speaking gig and I was so thrilled. I didn't even ask to get paid. And then it kind of took on a life of its own. I partnered with, I think before we jumped on, like you, Andy, I was part of a group where somebody sold me as a trainer for, to broadcasters for digital advertising sales training. And then I just started to get my own business. So I eventually did speaking, consulting all over the country, had an online business with 35 trainers, 600 videos, grew it to $600,000 in revenue. The fun part of that story is I always tell people, I only had 50 potential clients. So I only mm -hmm. sold the online training to state broadcast associations. There's one in every state. Got it. And there's only 50 states. And there's only 50 states. Well, there is a few nuances. There are some commingled associations. Puerto Rico has it. you sell to Puerto Rico? Exactly. Virgin I Islands. tried. I talked to them, wow. but it, it, we never could <laughs> nail it down. I ended up selling 32 of the 50. Wow. So the idea there is, especially for first-time entrepreneurs, I, I call it the niche tribe model. You want to try to find a group of people that you already have connections with or you're a known quantity, or you're really excited about what it is that they are doing and they'll feel your passion. 
Then you want to find a problem that you can solve using your expertise. So the idea is that you become the go-to gal or guy for that niche and they start recommending you around because a lot of us when we're first-time entrepreneurs are like, oh my God, I got to validate a business idea. I got to find customers. Um, I don't even know how to set up this business. So that's why I love this niche tribe model to kind of take some of that pain out, like do stuff you're already familiar with, who you know, what you know, find a problem to solve. And then, you know, that's the first step. And then you can, once you get comfortable with that, you can go on to all different other types of business models. It's kind of like that theory that you hear a lot in the entrepreneur space too. They only need a thousand true fans. Totally. Right. You know, you, you only need a certain amount of people who are really interested in what you're doing and you're solving their problem. If it's an expensive enough problem, you don't need thousands and thousands of customers. I just did this for uh, another, my, one of my success stories, a uh, friend of mine, two years later, he started with nothing. Yet when we started talking, he had one client for fertility clinic. So he be, he's become the digital marketing agency for fertility clinics. There's only 200 of them in North America. So uh, he's recently going through a pivot in his business. But at the end of last year, he had nine clients generated over $200,000 in revenue in two years. So the idea is we always think in America, especially the mass economy, we're like one of the four fundamental trends changing workers, we know it is the disintegration of the mass economy into infinite niches. So it's very counterintuitive. Actually, the, to your point, the smaller you go, the more valuable your products or service goes up because you understand if you're doing your, your homework, you end up understanding their problem better than they do and you can explain the value to them. So that's how you can charge more. And it gets you out of like, you know, positioning your pricing against any potential competitors. And in fact, you end up having no competitors because they're, they're buying not just your, your service, but you because you've ingratiated yourself into their tribe. Yep. Yeah. That's why they say the riches are in the niches, right? I mean, the more you know about that specific subject, you become that expert. They want to bring you in. And uh, I love that as being a consultant the last few years, you know, one of the proudest moments is when I came in and worked with the business and led a workshop. And then people would come up and say, are you sure you don't work here? You know more about our business than we do. And I'd say, yeah, I mean, it's the dirty little secret is, is because I actually spent time studying your entire business, whereas everybody in it was just doing their jobs. They weren't actually focused on how does this business work, but that was why I was there to teach them how the business worked. But listen to Andy, even if you're an employee, you need to start thinking like a strategist, like a consultant. Mm. It's no longer going to be good enough to just be hired to do the job that you were told to because automation, artificial intelligence is going to get rid of a lot of that routine work white collar work, blue collar work. Every time I talk to somebody in a different industry, like I didn't even realize right now in the the legal world, there's uh, less of a need for first year law students now or paralegals because AI is able to do a lot of the discovery and reduce Mm. the amount of documents that the lawyer actually needs to look at. That's happening right now. Wow. I was talking to a pipe fitter in Boston who he said how just in less than 10 years, how they're accelerating the construction process because they're able to prefab a lot of what they've been installing and then using GPS technology, able to like install it on every floor at a much higher rate than they were previously able to do. Like they almost do no welding on site anymore. I mean, so those are just two different examples that I love every day. Everybody always thinks this is something I got to worry about 10 years. So I'm like, nope, it's happening right now. Yeah, it's too bad they didn't have that... uh 10, 20 years ago for the big dig, whenever that was in Boston. Oh, what a mess. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we got a nice, the most expensive park in America out of it. So oh, that's nice. <laughs> the Rose um, Kennedy Greenway. So I want to go back to uh, what you said about thinking about what's that thing you're going to be doing outside of work. I think that's a really important topic. I know we want to get into because it's something you're really passionate about. For people listening who are employees, and I think we have a lot of listeners who are employees who are interested in doing their own thing not quite sure what to do, but they're still relying on that W-2 job. What should things people be doing? What should they be thinking about to prepare for that gig economy revolution that you're talking about? Number one, don't say, because everybody says this, Andy, everybody's like, I could never work for myself. It's like an immediate reaction. Like there's people in their head as they're driving along, working out like, nope, I don't think I could ever do it. They like the idea, but they just don't believe it's possible. Right. It's not possible. I was that person. Andy was that person, right? So, and where did that come from? You know what? It came from our society. It came from our educational system. Our educational system was designed for the 20th century economy. It was designed for people to work in assembly lines, whether they were offices or factories. They were designed that you were part of a hierarchy, that you believed people above you always knew better than you did, that you had to follow the directions, that you had to follow the schedule, 
that you are told what to do at every step and you are told when you are allowed to advance and make more money. All that for many of us has been blowing up, falling apart, declining, right? So what you really need to understand right now is what am I going to do if I couldn't find a job like Stephen right away? Like, what's my plan? So the first step is I just want you to be open, start educating yourself more about what is happening to work, what's happening in your industry and start thinking about like, wow, in my 30s and my 50s, like, what am I going to do? What's my career insurance policy here? So what we really want to think about is what would I do? The easiest path is could I do what I do as an employee in a freelance capacity or a consulting capacity? So that's something that you can think about. Or do you have a business idea? You do have this thing you're really excited about. Maybe it's outside of what you do in your profession. And you can start thinking about doing a side hustle. Start experimenting. And I always tell Andy, the biggest mistake first-time entrepreneurs always make, they never talk to enough people. So if you have a business idea, don't tinker around just yet. Go talk to the people who you think have this problem and not just your friends and family. Go ask them for other people that they know who have this, this problem and start talking about it. Listen to them. Ask them lots of questions. You should do more listening than talking because they're going to give you ideas in ways that you could not have imagined and maybe a better idea than your original one. Yeah, that reminds me, and I've given this advice to a few people. I had a friend once who was trying to leave his job. He wanted to become a coach, a performance coach. And, you know, he was talking, you know, kind of putting stuff out there very minimally. And I just asked him one day, have you even told your friends and family that you want to do this? And he's like, no, I really haven't told anybody. And I was like, I think that should be your first step. You got to start putting stuff out there because how can anybody help you if you don't tell them? I love that you said that. One of the most important 10 life skills that matter. Tell your story. Mm. And remember we were talking about, we kicked off the show about what is that you do? So what we do is we always tell people what we think they want to hear. We play it safe. We tell people what we think we're supposed to, what's socially acceptable. Because as humans, we want to be accepted. We don't want people being like, I have no idea what you're doing. That seems too weird. It feels uncomfortable. But what I tell <laughs> people back to your advice, yeah. you want to lead with where you're going. Right? I know that it might not be possible. You might not want to tell your boss that. That might be possible. But when people ask you, what do you do? Tell them where you're going, even if it's not quite figured out yet. And then allow them to ask follow-up questions because they might put it out there like, oh my gosh, I would love to introduce you to this person. Or have you ever thought about that? But if you just tell them about your day job, you are denying them the opportunity to help you. Have you ever think about it that way, right? Yeah. So, and then if they ask, well, how are you paying the bills right now? Then you can talk about your day job. That's okay. Got it. So for the aspiring actor who is uh, attending bar or waiting tables, you want them to lead with, I'm an actor. Absolutely. And I also work at a restaurant to pay some bills. <laughs> but no, don't feel bad about what it is that you're doing for your day job, right? right. But it's, it's lead with where, where you wanted to go. It's just, again, that's your identity. Telling your story is your identity. And when you tell people what you really want to do, well, you know what's scary? You're making a commitment. You're owning it. You are setting yourself up. You're going to make mistakes. You might fail. Like you told everybody you're going to be an actor. And then like a year later, still nothing's happened, right? right. That's scary, right? Yep. Yeah, or you feel like you're a fraud because you're talking about something that you haven't really done or you're not being very successful in. Ooh, can we talk about that? We can talk about it. Let's go. Imposter syndrome. A lot of people yes. suffer from this, right? I've suffered from that. I've talked to so many people that suffer from imposter syndrome. I mean, and I've been there too. You think like you were just saying before we jumped on, it's just like, wow, Steven, you've been like thinking about this and working on this for like a long time. And then there's people also in my space who haven't been doing this long, maybe just for three months or six months. Yeah. What I tell people is like, yes, I've been doing it for a long time and maybe people might regard me as having a lot of expertise in this. But I also think if you're just starting out, say if you're also interested in the future of work and you're starting out, people today love to be taught. They want to be part of your journey. You mm. can start building your audience. Even if you feel like, gosh, I'm, I'm just not an expert yet. Who am I? But as you're reading, as you're interviewing people, as you're doing experiments and you're sharing them, whether it's video or a podcast or a blog, that's going to start engaging and building an audience. And that's how you're going to start building your expertise. And at the same time, get over your in imposter syndrome, you know, yep. share your research. People love seeing the process. Oh, totally. I, I've been learning that too. I think I first had that revelation. I was reading uh, Gary Vee's latest book, yeah. uh, Crushing It. He talks about that. If you're trying to put together, build your presence on uh, YouTube or Facebook, and you don't feel like you're really well established, just take people on the journey with you while you're learning things. And you're right. People love to be part of a journey. They want to see how you're doing stuff. And I, I've suffered from that imposter syndrome, which of course means like, why would anybody want to listen to me? But then sometimes I remember when I'm putting stuff out there that if they don't care or they don't want to watch or listen to me, they can just ignore it. 
Totally. And, but the other thing I went around, but it's your unique take on things. People mm-hmm. are back, back to, we are going to infinite niches. Right. Sure. A lot of people like me are trying to help people work for themselves. My unique thing is that I'm teaching about life skills first, which is very unconventional way of teaching about business. Yeah. I'm doing the context of preparing people for the future of work. And it's just even the way I sound or the pacing of my voice, it's just, or my energy, how people connect with me. Right. And it's like, then there's going the to be. The fact that you look 20 years younger than you actually are. <laughs> <laughs> I will share my secrets. That'll be my next business. No, I'm just nice. Good genes. What can I say? Thank you. Yeah. And let's talk about the life skills part because sure. we touched on that briefly before we started recording. And you're right. There are a lot of people out there, coaches, speakers, whatever it is, who maybe say they're going to teach you how to run a business or help you start your own business. What you said is that you help people do that. But the important thing is to start first with life skills, being able to run your own life, I think the way you put it. So why do you talk about that? Why is that so important? What do you do there? So I always tell people again, you are the first resource of your business and its biggest obstacle. So you have to assess yourself as you would for any other resource in your business. Almost feel like you're hiring yourself to really get to know like your strengths, your weaknesses, your what makes you productive, what makes you motivated, energy, you know, where do you drive your energy? So they're usually when people teach about business, they'll, you know, even people will ask like, what legal structure should I be? Like, what's the best accounting system? Talk to me about marketing. What are the best hacks, right? Sales, all that stuff. And then the four things I teach people about first is self-management, idea validation, creating a prototype or just getting a habit of creating, and then business systems, right? So that's step one, that self-management. And I do a 30-day accelerator. And the first whole week is just about learning about yourself and how to learn about yourself and why it's so important. So even one step, because there's actually so much to learn about yourself. And the the more you learn about yourself, just the better decisions you're going to make for yourself and for your business. Like get your issues out of the way. If you're bad with your money in your personal life, guess what? You're going to be bad with your money in your professional life too. And by the way, if you could check another shameless plug, I do a, I have a free calculator, lifeskillsatmatter.com slash calculator to really understand the cost of your lifestyle. Work backwards from that mm. number. Don't tell me you want to make six figures and you want to be a millionaire. I want to know based on your lifestyle, how much money you really need. So the, I'm glad so, you brought that up because I have a question about that, but we'll, we'll come back to that. But I do want to keep going on the, on the life skills. Yeah. Maybe people are listening and thinking, well, I kind of know myself. Like, what sort of things do I really want to know about myself? And do you have any examples of someone you've worked with who really discovered some interesting things that helped them build a business? Yeah, the first thing, because people are like, oh my gosh, how do I design my work day? It's all on me now. Like, what's the first step? Well, you need a foundation. So I always tell people, you need to understand your peak performance period. And what that is, that is the three to four hour window every day where you feel most energetic, you have your sharpest mental clarity, and that's when you could do your best work and you should save that time for your most important work. So I'm seven to 11 in the morning. Do you have an idea, Andy, when your peak performance period is? I, well, first of all, I like to get up every morning and start my morning with doing some, some important things, you know, meditation, reading, writing, something. I usually start around 5.30, but I would say I'm probably similar. I do a pretty good job of maintaining energy throughout the day, but probably that 7 to 11, I think, is probably my peak performance area as well. And then there's people, the classic night owls over 7 o'clock at night or sometimes. Yeah, my wife is, is late and she, she starts getting stuff done after I'm asleep at 11 at night. Yeah, and think about like, think about the poor night owls. The 9 to 5 system totally screwed them over, right? Because they would never got, had the chance to do, work, do their best work during their peak performance period. Yep. So that's what I always tell people. And if you're, how do I find that? Just kind of first listen to your gut. I bet a chunk of you kind of already have an idea of when that is. The next thing I always tell people, if you could set an automatic uh, reminder every hour in your phone for a day or even do it for a week and every hour, just kind of check in, where's your energy? High for, you know, do one for high, two for medium, three for low. And just to start to get a sense. And then you over time, all of this is an ongoing process. Then you want to start observing like what type of work and work situations energizes you or drains you. What type of people energize you or drains you? So my spring accelerator, I had 10 students and now they all talk about that. And it's like a new language for them. They know to like, this is my peak performance period and I've organized my day around it. I defend it. You know, somebody wanted to set up a meeting this time, but I said I couldn't. So it's this idea of really taking ownership of your time, right? And uh, they really felt, and what I, a big thing that drives me, because people are like, what is the thing that's really driving you? It's like, I just want to bring relief to the anxiety that we're all suffering about work. 
And when you do something like the peak performance period, I mean, you start realizing like, it's okay to admit like, this is what I want to work. People are like, oh my God, you know, it's this epiphany, you know, but it's about reacquainting ourselves with nature, our natural rhythms, ourselves as individuals. And if you happen to be working in a company right now that maybe like they would never in a million years allow you to adjust your schedule in this way, well, at least now you know. So that way for your next job or your next business, you can start thinking about saying, this is more of a priority for me now. I want to really start organizing my work day and saying, I'm just going to be a better worker, a better employee, a better team member if you could allow me to work during these times. And if you work on your own, then you can make your own hours and, and work when you want, right? Preach. Structure your day around that. <laughs> This episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. At Advantage, we offer creative learning solutions that can help accelerate leadership development, business acumen, sales performance, and business results. Our clients say we're imaginative, collaborative, insightful, and fun. For more info, visit AdvantagePerformance.com or call us at 415-925-925. 6832. And now back to the show. And part of this is the most important life skill, self-awareness. So that's how you really start to really understand how to manage yourself. It's this idea of almost being a third party looking at yourself and not in a judgmental way, but in a way that you're saying like, huh, this thing just happened and this was the result. Am I happy with this result? Is this result productive? Is that going to help me keep going? And if you're like, yes, okay, we'll keep doing that habit or doing that behavior. If it isn't, then stop doing it or reduce it. Because I really don't like to say that there's bad habits and good habits. There's just, you have your goals and you want to make sure your, your habits are in alignment with those goals. Are they productive or unproductive? Back to that lifestyle calculator. If you're spending like 250 bucks on booze every month and you, you're telling me like you want to go out and work for yourself but you don't have a long financial runway to like cover yourself. Well, you know, is that $250 of drinking every single month really helping you with your goal of wanting to work for yourself? If you can say no, well then you should start redirecting that 250 bucks into that runway so you can save more. So that's yeah. kind of an example of what I mean about productive or unproductive. If you want to be a brewer and you need to be trying beer and spending $250 <laughs> a month, then that's, that's productive. That's different, yeah. <laughs> but same thing with people that say like, oh, I want to get something started on the side, but I feel like I don't really have any time. And then you dig in and you oh. find out that they, they watch ESPN every morning and two hours of Netflix every night. And it's like, well, again, like you said, not necessarily a bad habit. You get to choose how you spend your time. But if that's how you're spending your time, don't say you don't have time to work out or you don't have time to work on your business. Uh, we have so much just screen times. If, just, if you did not look at screens just for one day, two right. things, your mind's going to be blown about how many times you look at screens throughout the day, if you can pull this off. Number two, you're going to realize how addicted you are. Even if you're a person who never thought of themselves of having any addictive personalities or traits, we're all addicted now. Oh, so addicted to screens. You know, so that's another thing. If you um, want to use Toggle, T-O-G-G-L.com, you can track your time or just do that for a day just to do like every hour. Like, how am I using my time? Call yourself out. Be as honest as you can to see where, where is that time going? So that way you can, you know, redirect it in the same way that you're redirecting your money. Hmm. Could you give an example, Stephen, of um, someone you've worked with that really did some work on themselves and, and because they discovered some things about themselves, they were able to make some changes, maybe even launch a business or some change things with their business or how they worked? I want to go back to my fertility clinic guy because um, in the early days, he was like, oh my gosh, I am just feeling so distracted. I'm noticing it about myself. And here's all the different things that are distracting me. Like, what do I do? He was just beside him. He's like, what do I do about this? So I was like, hold on a second. Number one, great self-awareness. You're recognizing that this is happening to you and you're going deeper and you're starting to recognize the things that are distracting you. So then I told him, I said, like, start being methodical. You can't take on all these distractions all at once. So why don't you make a list and try to do the priorities of what, what are the most important to the least important? What are the most, just the biggest distractions to the least ones? Just, mm-hmm. We'll think of strategies, work together week after week of how to tackle each one of these. So one of them was, he just felt like he wasn't really productive working out of his house. You know, he was, he was always used to being around people. I said, well, why don't you work outside of us? Why don't you go to a coffee shop? Why don't you go to yeah. a library? Where else could you go? workspace or something, yeah. Yep. So he ended up trying all these different things. And, he, and I think he does have a co-working space now. And he was just, again, it was this relief. It was this permission. He's like, oh my God, I recognize this thing about myself. And then I could do something about it because right. again, in traditional employment, we actually don't believe we have all this power and control. And that's what I get excited about. 
back to reducing that anxiety, you have so much more control over your life than you can imagine. And doing some of these small adjustments starts building up your confidence and be like, wow, I can do this. And it's, what's the next thing I can do? And the next thing, and before you know it, you're running a successful business. That's how this kind of journey goes. So he kept going through all these different distractions. And and now I always, add, I'll even ask him, I went to a conference with him recently asking him about how is this focus? And he's like, I'm just, it's amazing what I can do. I'm like on a whole other level. You know, he has virtual assistants now. So again, it's this whole process because again, it's always about, oh, you're never going to totally get rid of distractions, but it's learning how to manage it. You're never going to get rid of your fears, but it's learning how to manage your fears. Here was a fun one uh, we did with a, a couple of students in the accelerator they were really fascinated about how to value themselves, how to negotiate, how to like better price themselves. And I said, well, for the next day, or if you could do it for the week, anytime there's a price in anything, wherever you go, don't accept that that's a price. What is it to you? And ask, you know, for a deal, tell them what you want to pay. So they're like, no, I could never do that. And then I remember this one guy who was in Scotland, he's, and he took a picture, he put it in our Slack group. And he's like, I just got these fries for free from five guys because I just asked for them and I got them. And he was just so nice. And that's what I love is just those small, like Seth Godin will always say, before you run in the marathon, you got to run around the block. Yep. So just that I can always remind this guy now, I'm like, if he's ever struggling with pricing, I'm like, remember those French fries? Because yeah. what, what he's done now, he has a foundation. He has an experience to negotiate and how to get something on his terms now. Yeah. And that's what you want to keep building on. Hey, it can't hurt to ask. And you don't, you don't get what you don't ask for, right? I've been doing that for a long time. But and I've seen those exercises where, you know, you go to a coffee shop or Starbucks and ask them for a discount, even though you know they don't do it. Yeah. But people also want to help each other. And if totally. you're willing to ask for stuff, you'd be surprised at what you can get. It's amazing. And, and doing and, and also not in this like way that you're just trying to get all this free stuff, but in a way just to like, it's a confidence building exercise, but at the same time, always looking for ways to help each other. And that's where that generosity comes back to me when I'm looking for these micro unexpected ways to help people. Yep. And that's building the relationship. So that way, when I go through tough times where I really need help, I have a great network to lean on. So that, yeah. that they're like, oh my God, you've done so much for me in the past and you're finally asking me for help. Sure. What can I do for you? So Stephen, people are starting, you know, they're, they're going through this process and they're starting to do work on themselves and understand who they are, strengths and weaknesses, when's the best time for them to work, how do they like to work, all these sorts of things. What's the next step for them to actually go start a business? And is, is it, do you recommend, you know, quitting the job and going all in on something or starting something on the side and, and sort of easing into it? I think I know, but. I am totally an advocate of the transition because it takes about two to three years to like really go through a transition. And here's why. You're not just changing your work. You're not just starting a business. You're not just leaving your job. You're actually shifting your identity. You're shifting your, your views on money, on time, on energy, the people that you hang around with. So that's why this is a process. There's a lot of emotion involved. And that's why I spend so much time on that emotion and mindset in my business, because that's what holds people up. That's where really, they really get stuck. And you want to deal with that stuff as early as possible in the early days of your business, so you have the strategy, so you know when it starts to happen, they could do something about it. Back to my fertility clinic guy, now when he sees that distraction happening, he's like, whoa, for the last three days, I've been really distracted about this. I'm recognizing it. This is what I need to do about it. So it's not, again, not that it's going to go away, but he, he knows what to do about it more quickly now. So to get started here, I would say the first thing is a lot of you listening are probably knowledge workers, creative workers. So you're dealing with information or content in some way. So a lot of that type of work can be easily translated into being a freelancer or a consultant. So that's kind of the easiest step. So you're already familiar with the subject matter, but it's just a different form of working. So you, you're still kind of just having to take care of yourself, but you're just going to be looking for your work in slightly different ways. Instead of having one client, your current employer, you might have three, right? So just getting yourself used to having three different clients and how to manage that, that's the first step. Another thing, if you have an idea, that business idea, it's just about, again, if there is a problem that you want to solve, I always tell people, marry a problem, not a solution. Because people think starting a business is about, I have a great idea. And I'm always skeptical. I'm like, tell me about your great problem. <laughs> because that idea is only one possible solution and an infinite seas to solve that problem. Number one, is that what your, the people that you're doing this for really want, how they want? Are they willing to pay for it and how much? And are you really equipped and qualified to be able to pull this off? And that's what you're trying to create that alignment, your needs, your abilities and values, but in alignment with the people that you're serving in terms of what's that problem? Is it painful enough that they want it solved? And how much are they going to pay? Is it profitable enough for you? So that's where you want to 
start on weekends at nights, even go to your existing list. If you already have an idea of what your problem is, find people who have that problem and start talking to them about it. Like if, you know, how have you tried to solve this problem? How much money are you willing to pay to have this problem solved? Give me an example of how this affects your life by not having this problem solved. Because you want to hear the language that they're using. You want to hear all those nuances, those details. And that's going to give you more ideas about how to solve that problem. Now, finally, you might be a person be like, I want to work for myself. I want more control over my time, but I have zero idea of what, what I want to do. And I don't think what I'm currently doing, I want to turn into a consulting gig. Got it. Yeah, let's say this you're a mailman or something and you really can't like go out and just contract deliver the mail. Maybe you can, I don't know, but... Right. But the cool thing about the mailman, they talk to a lot of people, right? So you always have to play to your strengths, right? Mm -hmm. what if, that's people always think they're waiting for this perfect set of circumstances before they can start their business. I'm going to tell you right now, that will never happen. The mm -hmm. secret is making the best use of what you already have. And we all have advantages. Do an inventory of yourself. Like there's people listening to us right now who are in their 50s. And they're like, I'm too old. I have too many responsibilities, right? But you have a lot of connections. You might have more money. You might have more skills. And then there's somebody who's like in their early 20s being like, I'm too young. I'm not an expert. I don't right. have any skills. But you have energy. You have more time. Fewer responsibilities. Right. So no matter, the grass is always greener here, folks. You know, yes. you just have to use what's available to you. So I, what, if you don't know what you want to do as an idea, you have to tap into your curiosity habit. People will tell me, Andy, I'm not creative. I'm not curious. And I'm like, you're a human being. It's hardwired into every single one of us. You don't get a choice in this. You are curious. Every time a random question pops into your head, that's curiosity in action. When you're driving home at work and you're like, why did that person cut me off? That's curiosity. So you want to start recognizing when you're being curious and what, what are you being curious about and start journaling. Now, this is a great self-awareness habit. Just as you're having ideas, you see problems or you're just annoyed, or you have a reoccurring thought, start jotting it down, whether it's on your phone or a paper journal. And then at the end of the week, at the end of the month, start looking for patterns and trends to be like, wow, I keep writing a lot about this particular problem or this particular subject because that's a whole other part of your brain that already really knows what you want to do that's saying, yeah, keep going in this direction, right? Because a lot of times we think we're going to use the newest part of our brain, our executive function, to think our way out of everything. It's not true. Got to tap into your emotions, got to tap into your gut, your subconscious mind, because that's a whole other part of your brain that is really the passion part of what really excites you. And then using the thinking part of your brain to kind of be more pragmatic and be like, okay, I'm really excited. I know what I want to do. But now what are the nuts and bolts of how to keep moving forward and get me there? Yeah, man, I think so many good pieces of advice there. And I know that since I started journaling a couple of years ago, it's made a huge difference in my life. I mean, I'm writing down goals every day and I'm writing down ideas all the time and it just keeps building on itself. And I just having more and more ideas and things that come and some that I can act on right away. Some that are like, Hey, maybe one day it'd be nice to write a book on X or whatever. And like, you know, put that aside, but at least it's in writing somewhere and I'm keeping this stuff because I can go back to it. And I think that's, that's so important for people. If you're someone that you, you tend to have these ideas from time to time, but they're kind of fleeting. You're like, I can't do anything this right now. You start writing them down, talking to people about it. Like you said, you're, there's a much better chance of things actually happening from it than you just having an idea and then letting it go. And then people start sending you help and ideas your way. Like people are all the time of redirecting things to me because I'm now, I've gotten to a point where yeah. you really get into your problem or the, your business idea. It's always going to be get more and more refined and sharper and sharper. Even mine has changed over the last two years. And now I'm just getting to a point where people are just constantly making recommendations of people for my accelerator or podcast guests or ways that they can help because I've really clearly identified and shared my energy to be like, I am the boy who cried wolf here, folks, because it's like, I always tell people, Andy, if your house is on fire, wouldn't you want me to tell you? Yeah, I think so. Well, your career is starting to smolder and I'm just letting everybody know. Don't ignore that. I'm telling you, I don't want anybody listening to say like, oh, I never knew this was going to happen or this was coming. I'm letting you know, and I'm also letting you know, you can do something about it. We got to help each other create work. That's my vision for the future of work. How do we all help each other create work instead of always having to go to these centrally controlled organizations, public or private? Amen. Yeah. And you do want your neighbors to tell you if your building's on, your house is on fire and you want your friends to tell you if they think you're in a, a bad or precarious situation and maybe you need to do something about it. And we're telling you now that you might be in a safe, really secure, great job, but 
it's a good idea to start thinking about what are your options? What are the next thing you're going to do? And it doesn't allow it to be online. You know, a lot of people I've, I interview on my podcast, I want to interview people who are doing all different types of things with their hands. One of my craziest examples, uh, a woman in Montreal interviewed who started a mermaid swimming school. What? She has 10 locations throughout North America. I think one's coming to Florida, your neck of the woods. I think it might be in Miami. It's just a school for mermaids because... I feel like the customer base, we talked about a small customer base earlier. Well, it's great. Well, again, back to the niches, like she was just really into swimming and exercise. She got laid off from her job, but she was also interested in kind of like fantasy dress up things. And so she's mm. like, I'm going to give this a try. And she did like a local radio promotion. She sold out her first class and she's like, okay, back to this quick prototyping. She said, something's here. She is doing so well, Andy, that she can't keep up. Like she needs so many um, fins, uh, mermaid fins. Yeah that she started a secondary business now to make them for herself because the, the, one of the few companies in the world that was making them couldn't keep up with her demand. Wow, that's amazing. I wonder if they make them for kids too because my daughter's taking swimming lessons and she loves this idea of mermaid. I think it's aquamermaid.com. Aquamermaid, we'll have to check that out. Let me just, I'll just... While you're doing that, Stephen, I want to ask you, I think when people think about this, uh, you're breaking it down and making it a little bit more realistic. So let me, let me think about myself and my strengths and what could I possibly be doing? Oh, good. And, I'm doing my job then, Andy. Thank yes, you. Yes. And, and easing into it. But I think there's still that overwhelming thought of like, whoa, I couldn't really go out and work for myself. And I was thinking about it as you're talking, and I think the three big things that really hold people back are number one, I can't support my lifestyle, right? Mm. I'm not going to make enough money. Number two, to do that, to get business, I'm going to have to sell and I'm not good at sales. And then number three, at least in the United States, whoa, I need health insurance. So how do you address- I love these. You know why? Because I've heard them 3,000 times. I'm sure you have. And I have, I have, have a question. Too. I have to tell people, I, my, I did part of my research. I said, I want to know the thing that's holding you back from working for yourself. You've been thinking about it. What's holding you back? And then, so I've, I've gathered all of that. That's the heart of my business because I want to clearly help people through this. Remind me, number one was? Number one is I can't support my lifestyle. So that is trickier, especially getting to our 30s and 40s, right? Mm -hmm. So a couple of things is you have to have a little bit of a reality check. That's what This is like maybe not the answer everybody wants to hear. That's why you should do that lifestyle calculator to see how much money you really need because mm -hmm. you have a lot of unproductive spending in your life that you can really get regain control of. And also with your lifestyle, things are changing in such a fundamental way. It's, this is not just about money. This is about regaining control of your life to have a longer term income opportunity as work continues to change. So you might have to take a temporary hit or a reorganization of your spending, but also looking for other opportunities. Even if you have to do like, you know, we were talking about the gig economy. Sometimes I, I'm uncomfortable with that word because everybody just thinks of like Uber drivers and TaskRabbit and that sort of thing. But even if you have to like, do whatever you have to do to like minimize the loss of income. You need to do it to go through these transitions. And a lot of times people, this is what traditional, an unhealthy version of traditional employment has done to us, that every time we got a raise, made more money, our spending was directly pegged to that. So as the income went up, spending went up. So we've never done a really great job of managing our spending. Because Andy, I bet you could tell me how much money you made last year, right? Absolutely. How much money did you spend last year? I have a pretty good idea because I do track it, but I'm guessing most people don't. You're like less than 1%, right? Yeah. And that's the important number to really understand that. So step one, your lifestyle, this is about what is it that you really want? Are you just addicted to all the stuff or do you really want to be happy and have control of your life? Really, that's the shift because I'm always telling people to really start organizing about don't have it all. I don't believe in having it all. That's like baloney. That's like a marketer's dream. That's why they keep getting us to buy so much crap. Right, right. It's about what do you want and spending money on that and then getting rid of all that stuff. And that'll bring a lot of money back into what it is and really focusing on me. So that's kind of my response to that. Number two, sales. I tell people, when I teach people about business, I try to reduce the amount of business terms as much as possible. Get rid of the business jargon. And I tell people, Andy, like, how do you like to meet people? What's your thing? Like, where do you like to meet people? Are you more online, offline, conferences? Like, what do you like to talk about? I get people to be like, let's focus on being you, being human, about how do you just like to interact with other people? And only really reach out to people when you feel like, oh, I'm so interested in them. Or if you feel like in your head, you like something about them and you want to pay them a compliment, do it. And that's how you can start building a connection. So don't think of this as sales because we all, and that's, a, I'm a former sales trainer who never thought he would ever sell. <laughs> 
And the way I got around that was that sales is really about solving problems. And it's not about selling people on something that they don't need, because that's the way we all think about that. We have this thing, we got to sell them on it. But if you build your business in partnership day one with the people that you're solving this problem for, you're never going to feel like you're selling them. You're building it with them. And that's really, really where you want to head. So make friends, not connections, you know, be interested. What's your outreach habit? Because this should not be a to-do list item. How do you like to just right now reach out to people? That's another reason we liked traditional jobs because we're like, we get a job and we're like, phew, I don't have to go out and talk to anybody anymore. I have to keep looking. Well, guess what? No matter how you skin this cat, W2, 10 to 9, next 10 years, we're all going to constantly be looking for connections and meeting people. Yep. And you have to understand how to do it for you. Even if you're an introvert to extrovert, we all have different ways of doing it. You have to understand what's your medium, in-person, online, conferences, writer, video, whatever it is, and frequency, and then who. So those are, the, those are the questions you need to answer for yourself. Final. Okay. I love that. I just want to touch on that because I, I think that, I mean, I say this all the time on here and to other people, like our whole lives, our business, our careers, everything is a product of our network and the relationships that we have established. I mean, you ask people, they don't realize it sometimes, but you think back to the jobs you've gotten, businesses you started, they almost always come back to relationships, people we met, people that gave us tips or connected us with people. And but being authentic. Put a lot of time to that. Yeah, of course, authentic. Really. I mean, I was like listening to your podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so aligned with this guy. I want to ask him if I could be on. And that's where it comes from. And I hope because of that, we have a deeper connection than you normally would have with somebody. You know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. there is that alignment. Now, like Andy's in my brain now. And then, so it's like, what does he need? How do I help him? That's how Dangerous. my brain is always working. Yeah. I love that. I love what you're doing. And we, I could tell when we got on, we had this instant connection. <laughs> the last question. Healthcare. Here, yes. Healthcare. I mean, I remember when I left my job to go out on my own about 10 months ago, when I was at a happy hour, some of my coworkers in New York, and I told them about it. And it was like a 23-year-old girl, not like a 40-year-old with a mortgage and kids. It was a 23-year-old girl. It was like, what are you going to do for healthcare? Like everyone's legitimately concerned about this. So we, but that's another indoctrination into us. And think about it. If we're moving to an, a majority independent workforce, an employer-based healthcare system no longer makes sense. So my very long-term prediction is, from a purely economic point of view, don't freeze up wherever you are politically. Don't have a heart attack, people. I'm talking as a business person. Just pragmatically, we are eventually going to move to some sort of single-payer healthcare system in combination with private insurance. It's going to happen. Because yeah, we, are, we need mind. to support entrepreneurship. And we need to get, we need to remove this obstacle of like, where's my healthcare kind of come from? Because yeah. there's not going to be enough jobs to be created to continue to sustain an employer-based healthcare system. That's yeah. the long term. Short term, I'm moving back to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts because I know they're going to have healthcare forever. <laughs> so I think it's understanding, you know, where you're going to live because there's certain parts of the United States where even if the current government system breaks down, there are probably 20 states that are going to continue with a, a single payer system option. So that could factor into where you want to live. And that's, I think, just going to be a competitive advantage for talent for those states. Yeah. Also, you might be married or you might be in a, another type of living situation where you might be able to be on somebody else's health care. Or if you are, you know, under the age of 26, you could be on your parents' health care until 26. And so this is the time of your life to go take risks. Yeah, go do it. So my point here is that there's actually lots of different options. And that's what I want you to do. This is how you conquer fear, how you conquer obstacles, because you're just listening to the noise. You're like, oh my God, I can't work for myself because what am I going to do about healthcare? Right. And what I'm saying to you is like, well, have you done your homework? Have you researched yeah. all your options? Because yeah. by that reaction, you're telling me, no, I haven't. And right. that's in every aspect of entrepreneurship and every fear that you have. Do the research, talk to people, and there are far more options than you are aware of right now of how you can get over that obstacle. Yeah. And they're not as easy as getting the health, the health insurance from your employer, no doubt, but it is out there. I mean, take my I've been doing it for 18 years, people before there right. was even, before there was even whatever you want to call the system that were other. I was in Massachusetts when Romney had a universal health care. I had health insurance before that. I was just paying it on the open market. Yeah. I mean, but take my example, you know, when I was employed, I was probably paying about four or $500 a month for a family plan with my employer. Now, I have a health plan that I got through uh, the exchange, the ACA, otherwise known as Obamacare, which is available in a, you know, to everyone in the U.S. You can't be denied. 
and it's more expensive. I'm paying close to $1,300 a month for my family, but I have health insurance. Yes, it's more expensive, but it's tax deductible. And I see it as enabling me to actually make more money by working on my own than, you know, working for someone else. So for me, the trade-off is worth it. So you have to do all the math, but the option, like you said, and there are other options too. There's options there. It's not like health insurance is not available to you if you leave. And by the way, for everybody in the employment healthcare system, have you noticed your deductibles going up? Have mm. you noticed your monthly premiums that your employer is making you go up? It's going up for everyone. You know what I mean? So it's not getting any cheaper having employee-based healthcare, right? And the final thing is when you're saying about, yes, it's more expensive. Once you start understanding and have, like, that's the other thing. We've been shielded from the real cost of healthcare. And when you have it in your life, and I, you understand what it is for your family, I understand what it is for mine, that you can really then understand that is a business cost. You really start thinking like an entrepreneur. It's just another cost that you have to deal with. And you're going to create an economic system that's going to be able to cover that cost. Yeah, it's totally worth it. Stephen, we have to wrap things up. If you have one piece of advice that we haven't covered so far to give people who are thinking about making the leap into entrepreneurship and just haven't really taken that step yet, what would it be? The thing that I always sign off with, it's possible. Just like change, just start being open again to that changing mindset of having a conversation. This is your economic future. Stop waiting around for somebody else to save you. Help yourself, get help from your peers. That's the future of work. Love it. Stephen, for anybody who's listening who wants to get in touch with you, maybe find out more about your incubator, your programs, uh, where do they go? How do they get in touch? Go to lifeskillsatmatter.com. And if you're interested in learning more about yourself, enroll in our free 12-week course, our self-assessment challenges. Every week you learn a different challenge to dive into a different aspect of yourself. You can go to lifeskillsatmatter.com slash challenge. Got it. Life skills that matter slash challenge. Steven, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, your experience, your passion. Um, really appreciate it and uh, love the conversation. So thank you again for coming on the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. Thanks for the great questions. And I can't wait to have you on my podcast. Looking forward to it, Andy. All right, let's do it. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. You can find more information at entrepreneurhotseat.com or my personal website, andystorch.com. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, or if you are looking for ways to take your life and business to the next level, you can send me an email to andy at andystorch.com. Take care.